Chapter Fifty Four of House, Garden, and Field by L. C. Meal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Great examples. If any of us were called upon to name the greatest biologists of the nineteenth century, we should not go far wrong if we chose Charles Darwin and Louis Pasteur, for the work of these two men has profoundly affected both thought and practice. Many days can hardly pass without the biologist or the physician to say nothing of the chemist, having to recall some investigation by Darwin or Pasteur, relating it, maybe, to the cross-fertilization of flowers, the movements of plants, climbing plants, the descent of man, the supposed spontaneous generation of living things, the nature of fermentations, the role of minute organisms in disease, or the prevention of diseases caused by minute organisms. The labors of Cuvier, Humboldt, Robert Brown, Johannes Müller, Bayer, Bernard, and Owen are forever memorable, but even these men did not, like Darwin and Pasteur, act powerfully upon the whole generation of scientific workers among whom they lived. It is remarkable that neither the one nor the other was a professed biologist. After returning from the voyage of the Beagle, Darwin must have considered himself a working geologist. After the monograph on the Cirripedes, he must have considered himself a working zoologist and after the treatises on orchids, climbing plants, and insectivorous plants, he must have considered himself a working botanist, but always with considerable reserves. In his own eyes, Darwin ranked as a self-taught, half-trained man, needing at every turn the advice and help of regular students. Pasteur, though he had the courage to discuss disease among physicians and to set the physicians right, though he identified many obscure organisms and investigated their mode of life, had always to disclaim the attainments of the biological specialist. Neither Darwin, with his past degree, nor Pasteur, with his purely chemical and physical education, would have had early in his career a chance in any biological competition. Biological textbooks, lectures, and museums had little or no share in making them what they were. Both were eminent observers and experimenters. Both, I imagine, if interrogated as to the secret of their productiveness, would have attributed it mainly to the habit of independent observation, reflection, and verification by experiment. Genius, we may be told, is an exception to all rules. I, for one, do not admit this as an axiom. Genius conforms to certain generalizations from ordinary human experience. Their ancestry and their associates helped to make Darwin and Pasteur what they were, nor, though they stood out higher by the head and shoulders than the other eminent biologists of the century, did they fail to show the qualities which bring success to smaller men. Perseverance, candor, and trust in scientific inquiry are among the ordinary virtues of all deserving men of science. In Darwin and Pasteur, these virtues were carried to the heroic point. I do not quite believe that Darwin's and Pasteur's come among us like lightning from heaven. There are surely reasons why they should appear in some ages and some nations and some families, but not in others. Whether we can by taking thought make such men more frequent is not adequately proved. But since the lower degrees of their qualities are clearly beneficial and to some extent capable of cultivation, it would be wise to encourage these lower grades wherever they show themselves. Among the lower and ordinary manifestations of those qualifications for biological discovery which became illustrious in Darwin and Pasteur, I should reckon curiosity, the habit of observation, and the habit of experiment. We shall certainly not spoil any unrecognized Darwin or Pasteur 
by giving opportunity for the exercise of these propensities, and we may possibly favor the production of genius. Nature study seeks, above all things, to develop the earliest rudiments of the scientific discoverer. It does not aim at making zoologists or botanists or professors or honor men, but would strengthen, if it could, curiosity about nature, the habit of observation, and the habit of experiment. End of chapter 54. End of House, Garden, and Field, a collection of short nature studies by L. C. Meole.